Hello, everybody. You are listening to the Race V Fem Forest podcast, your source of empowering words, advice, and tips on entering and leveling up in the tech, space, and capital industry from none other than women who have walked that walk. You will also get a peek into their world by learning more about their field and their latest projects. Coming up, your weekly dose of inspiration. Up next, I will be talking to Victoria Gago about her serendipitous way of entering into the blockchain space, how she developed the essential traits of an entrepreneur, and her view of the largest trends in blockchain. Victoria Gago is a co-CEO and co-founder of European Blockchain Convention and European Tech School. She is additionally the director of OBS Business School and Three Points Masters in Blockchain and founder and president of Accelerate Network, which is a women's association. Previously, she worked as an investment analyst in Black Toro Capital, which is a private equity fund, and as a M&A director in Windcorp TransLink. She took on a BA in European Studies from Copenhagen Business School and also has a master's degree in financial management from Sheffield Hallam University. She's born and raised in Copenhagen, but she currently resides in sunny Barcelona. Victoria, welcome on our show. With all of the exciting developments in the blockchain field, I cannot wait to get an expert such as yourself on the show to give us a peek into your world. You've been pioneering in this space for quite a bit now, while originally from a financial and asset management background. So also very keen on learning your viewpoints on that transition and your motivation to enter into blockchain. Before we dive into the world of blockchain, though, I would love to start with your journey. On your professional social media profile, you display a quote, which is, if you're not willing to risk, you risk even more. What would your interpretation be of this quote? And how does it fit your personality or work ethic? Well, first of all, thank you very much for the invitation, Selma. And well, funny you found that quote. So behind that sentence, if you're not willing to risk, you risk even more. I guess I've based my life on that somehow. (laughs) Because I believe somehow that if you stay within your own borders and knowledge and ideas, you're not going to evolve that much. Okay, so what I'm trying to say is that <laughs> myself, I had, a, I would say, both uh, when it comes to university and a career that was very much uh, zigzag in the sense that I've been moving from one area to another area. And that's because I've always been very much willing to risk, to risk new stuff. So, I mean, just to give you a bit of background, I started studying European studies. European studies is basically a field where you study European history. European cultures. It's like I remember comparing the Scottish culture with the Catalan culture. Nothing to do with business, nothing to do with finance, nothing to do with technology. And at some point, I decided to do a master's degree in finance. I think that was, I mean, I took a risk there. (laughs) I was very much willing to risk there. So basically, I think I'm always trying, yeah, I'm always trying to to risk because I know if I risk, I'm going to learn and I'm going to evolve. And I'm, I'm going to enjoy more. If I stay within my own borders, I risk even more. Apartment, right? And I've been doing this my whole life, all the time, you know, crossing borders and taking, I've been taking risk all the time. And I think 
that has taken me to where I am today, which is in the blockchain space. How and when did you realize taking risks is an important trade in this field? Well, I guess I did not realize that I just did it. I think it just matched my personality. I did it my whole life, even when I was younger, but not not related to like studying or to, to working or anything like that. But I've always been doing that. I've always been trying to evolve. And if I had a problem, try to fix it myself. Because I grew up in a quite tough neighborhood in Copenhagen. So basically in my class, yeah, 60, 70% were, were foreigners. I mean, their parents were foreigners. So like, so I had... Some of my classmates, immigrants. Im- yeah, yeah, all type of immigrants. Yeah, some could be from Morocco, some could be from Turkey, some from Pakistan, some from China. My mom is Spanish, my dad Polish. I mean, so most of us were like kids of immigrants. And then the rest of the kids, which were Danes or Danish, obviously their parents were not immigrants, but their parents were either one or two were alcoholics. I mean, so we all had like very difficult situations. I'm not saying that because you're an immigrant, you're going to have a difficult situation. But I mean, it was not easy for, for, for most of us. So already there, I somehow just started to solve my old problems since I was very young. And I guess that's what I've done ever since. So when I hear you talk about your background, I also hear you had to develop some other critical skills and traits such as perseverance, being visionary, being able to steer yourself towards the bigger picture and work towards the long term goal. And really just be persistent with achieving your goals, irrespective of the factors in your upbringing and environment that were not favorable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just as as an example, my mom did not have much money. Um, She decided to continue studying when I was young. So she already, I mean, she she did university in Madrid and then she moved to Denmark to continue studying there. But then again, when I was young, she decided to study again. So my mom didn't have much money. And I remember that then I couldn't have like cool clothes or cool shoes. So what I started to do in a very young age was to to sew my own clothes. And I guess I've always been like, okay, if this is my reality, whatever the reality was, I was like, okay, then just accept the situation. And then I just tried to fix whatever problem I had. And in this case, it was like, yeah, it's like, okay, I don't have cool clothes because my mom didn't have money to buy me that then maybe I can do it myself. And I did that. And at some point I even started to selling some clothes to my friends and making a bit of money on that. So it's like, <laughs> you're always trying to, yeah, you know, evolve. But I, I would say, I mean, I didn't think too much about it. I just, I was always like trying to, you know, to continue walking. You know what I mean? I, I never, I was never standing still. And I was like, so I would say sometimes I didn't think too much about stuff. I just did it, you know? Yes. So your creativity kicked in and you became very resourceful. Interesting. So would you say that due to your upbringing, which directly impacted your nurture blueprint, so to say, you were better able to navigate the business environment during your career since you developed these additional skills and traits at an earlier age? Yeah, well, I agree that today it's, I guess, one of my forces that I'm in continuous troubles all the time. I guess as everybody, <laughs> we all have troubles all the time. It could be running your own business or it could be working for, for, for somebody else, but we always have troubles and we need to fix stuff and evolve and create new stuff. So I definitely think that that's one of my yeah qualities today, thanks to what I've been through when I was young. Definitely. And, and I always think that there is like a way to solve any issues. I mean, I don't take a no for a no. <laughs> you know, I mean, like, 
I mean, I mean, at some point I do, but like, I mean, I'll try to find my way out always, always. Another example, I was going to say a bit stupid, but I mean, even it says a bit about myself because when I was young, when I had to walk from my school to this place where I would be suing my clothes, it was called a club, club for, for young people. So I had to walk through a, a Copenhagen, actually, I think Denmark's largest cemetery. And when it was dark, it's not that nice. But sometimes I was like, I'm too lazy to walk the whole way around. It's like, okay, I want to, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And I would walk through sometimes and it was like scary, you know, because it was all dark and like, you know, in a huge cemetery. But I was like, okay, but I mean, if you want to go fast, this is the only way you can do it. And obviously nothing happened because... I mean, who's going to be in a cemetery during night? I mean, I guess it's more dangerous to be in some other places around the city. But like stuff like that. So I would do that because it's like, okay, you prefer to do it fast, then okay, then you have to walk through the cemetery. It's dark, it's not nice, but, but then do it quickly. So basically having a thick skin and being very pragmatic about certain steps, which feeds into the mentality you need to have, which we spoke about just now. Do you think that mentality also helped you in your career? Yeah, yeah. I mean, one thing I wanted to say, I think this, I guess this mentality I have doesn't work too well in a corporate firm. Somehow I need to be a bit free because then, yeah, because then I'll, I'll fix everything myself and I'll create stuff. But if I'm in a very like, you know, corporate world where, where everything needs to be in a certain way, I mean, I've realized that it's difficult for me to fit in. So I get like very small in those environments. So by having my own company, I definitely think it's not a problem to be in the tech space where, as you said, it's mainly dominated by men as the financial world, uh, because I don't care. I mean, I'll walk through the cemetery in the darkness alone. I don't care. If I have to cross it, I have to cross it. And if it has to be fast, then that's the fastest way. But if I had, well, I, I worked in, in larger companies and I was a bit more, yeah, I don't know, uncomfortable. So in terms of taking risks, if you were to give our audience tips on taking risks to grow and to drive personal growth, what could that potentially look like in more concrete terms? Well, I think it's very important that you, you need to think about what you want to do. And if you're not comfortable in whatever position or whatever you're doing, a risk is to leave that I guess, maybe stable job and do what you really want to do, or at least what you think you would like to do. I mean, I think it's maybe difficult to know what you really want to do, but at least, you know, if you're not comfortable to, to get out of that place. And another thing is also, one thing is like your career in terms of where you're working or if you're building your own company, but it's also when it comes to investments to, because I, I believe most people are afraid of investing. And I think it's just about starting because if you start, you will also start learning. If you don't start, you'll, you'll stay outside and you can stay out forever. I mean, most people don't invest. Obviously, more men than women invest, but still, most people don't invest. Most people don't know how to manage their money. I mean, I'm not an expert, but I've been investing for many years, so I'm learning every day. And I'll continue learning every day because I'm, I'm getting into new asset classes or I'm getting into new projects, for example, as a business angel. So I guess it's, it's sometimes you just need to throw yourself out there. But obviously, when it comes to the job I guess at least if you have some money saved, I think it's a great idea to leave that job behind if you're not comfortable with that and then start building your own project with somebody else where you probably can add more value or where you maybe can feel more comfortable. At the end of the day, if, if you are in a space where, where you're more happy, you can also provide more value to your clients or to whoever you're working with. So uh, yeah. That totally resonates. So what you're basically saying is 
try to create sort of a safety net in terms of financial means so that it won't bog you down or hold you back from exploring new fields. And by all means, you don't need to have all the answers right away, but to just throw yourself out there to get going and start learning. What you're also saying is that if you are in a job that doesn't necessarily fit you, take the risk to find a job that will make you happy. Being happy in a job will stimulate more creativity and innovation and ultimately allow you to provide more value for your customer and for the people you work for or with, for that matter. Yeah, yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Okay, so take us back to your career transition for a bit. How did your interest for blockchain start? So basically, four years ago, I was working in the financial industry in Barcelona. So I was working in a group that had an asset manager arm and a private equity arm. So I was mainly working in the private equity arm. It was a fund called Black Toro Capital. And a year before, I decided to launch Accelerate Network. So a women's association based here in Barcelona to help young women reach their goals, basically. But what I did with this association was to combine women from different fields. Because I was feeling sometimes that I was I was in a bit a, like kind of like a financial bubble. I mean, in the sense that it was all about investments and returns. And whenever I was meeting somebody from another industry, I was like, wow, it's exciting what you're doing. I mean, whatever they were doing, I was like, wow, just because it was new. So I was like, okay, let me bring, you know, women with different profiles together in this association. And one of the girls were quite techy and she was talking all the time about, about blockchain. And I was like, oh what is that blockchain? It's like, the way you talk about it is like, whoa, it's amazing. So somehow she managed to sell it to me. I mean, I, I don't think she did it on purpose, but you know, that happens when you, when you interact with different profiles from different industries, right? And exactly, yeah, a year ago when Mobile World Congress was celebrated in Barcelona, which is, I guess, yeah, probably one of the largest tech conferences in Europe. Vitalik Buterin, which is the, one of the founders of Ethereum blockchain, was talking there. And it was a young Russian guy, very thin and white and had like an ugly t-shirt on. And I was like, okay, who's that guy? But the room was like full of people. All the seats were taking, people were standing, people were sitting on the floor. And I was like, okay, okay, this guy, <laughs> he must be someone. And I mean, I was also there because I knew it was something great as blockchain, but I still didn't understand too well what it was. But after that, I started to read a lot about blockchain, a lot. So I started to read books and, and to get into the blockchain space. And I was like, whoa, this technology is absolutely amazing. And what I was very amazed about was that somehow they were saying in my books and articles that blockchain was a technology that could basically distribute new wealth. Transform society. Maybe. Yeah, in a new way. So basically, I mean, instead of like, just getting, just getting the, the rich people even more rich, then we could distribute new wealth in any way. And I was like, oh, that's nice. That's interesting. I mean, there was a little bit like also a bit related to the financial industry, but still with the more like, I don't know, social aspect. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. We can do cool stuff here. So that's how I got into the technology <laughs> and, and my interest. Yeah, so you felt you can create an impact through blockchain, basically. Yeah. Your impact would be larger for society because that's maybe part of your purpose as well. Yeah, so impact, but also a way to make money. I mean, like, I mean, I guess we all want to make money. We want to make as much as possible. And it's like, oh, it's a new technology. If I'm one of the first ones, I can take advantage of that. I like the technology. I like the philosophy behind and I want to make money. So I'm like, okay, let's get into the space, basically. 
Very good. So what did you have to do to sort of like get a grasp of, of the field? I hear you read a lot of books, a lot of articles, uh, you attended talks and events. Anything else that you would advise people to do to start learning more about the blockchain industry? Well, yeah, as you said, I read books, articles, started listening to talks. At that time, there was not too much education. So I didn't have the chance to like, I think, what I would have been nice to do like a blockchain course. So yeah, it was just by myself reading listening and I actually also reach out to people I've always been very good to just reach out to random people <laughs> random people in the field saying hey you know let's talk and but without being prepared but thanks to those conversations I learned more stuff but also sometimes I ended up in some calls where they were like but okay but what, what do you want from me <laughs> I would end up so the leading consulting firm in the blockchain space is called consensus they work mostly with ethereum blockchain And I ended up talking to a director from there and he was like, okay, but what do you want? And I didn't even know what I want. I just wanted to, I just reached out to a lot of people. And maybe by reaching out, I don't know, to like, let's say 20 people, I got on the phone with two or three. Obviously, most people wouldn't answer normally. I mean, if you don't have anything concrete, right? But sometimes I would end up in a call and they would be like, okay, but what do you want? And I was like, I don't know. <laughs> but, but I mean, still from some of them, I learned stuff because then we had a conversation and from others, Since I didn't know what I wanted, they were like, okay, but okay, then let's, let's talk at, at a later stage, right? But um, so yeah, I guess also just reaching out to people. Reaching out, networking, not being afraid to ask questions so yeah. you can learn more. Most people will, yeah, most people will ignore you, but at, le at least some will, will take the phone and say, okay, yeah, let's talk. <laughs> yeah. So. And was there a clear transition or did you enter the industry smoothly by learning more about it first? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so I was working, yeah, in this private equity fund. Um, and then the year after, together with one of my, my colleagues, Daniel Salmeron, we decided to create the European Blockchain Con Convention. So what we thought was that we had to bring together decision makers. So more high level people. It was not enough just to have a bunch of maybe, you know, younger, younger profiles amazed about the technology, but we had to bring... Yeah, decision makers to talk about the technology so that the technology could evolve. At the end of the day, I mean, you need, yeah, you need corporates, you need investors, you need regulators to be there to talk to advance, basically. So in 2018, we founded our company, the European Blockchain Convention, and had our first edition of the Congress, where we brought together 500 people in Barcelona, like out of nowhere, basically, because I mean, obviously nobody knew us in the space. We were nobody at that time, but we brought together like central banks where there, large listed companies from all over Europe, all there to discuss blockchain. And I guess we man managed with that first edition to get a quite good name out there because people saw that we were able to provide a good product, both For the audience, because at, le at the end of the day, like a Congress is a bit like a concert. So what you sell is for the normal audience tickets, basically, right? And for the sponsors, sponsorships. So basically they need to get brand awareness or they need to get closer to the clients. And I think, yeah, we managed to launch an amazing edition. And since then we've just been growing and trying to, yeah, to get more people on board and to help the whole ecosystem in Europe evolve. That's amazing. Very good. So if you look at your own career transition or career as a whole, do you feel you had a, a support system or are there any particular factors that really helped you to get either into one of those fields or explore your interests and passion or 
maintain your physical and mental health while working in these like intensive industries? And if so, what are these factors or what was your support system? Yeah, support system. I mean, while working in the financial industry, I was very much stressed out. I would work to, till very late every day and I wasn't comfortable. So I guess, I mean, you know, it's a mix of like being tired, not comfortable, not satisfied. So I started I started, um, having some uh, conversation with a psychologist here in Barcelona. Even in Denmark, I went to several psychologists. I've always been very much fan of their expertise because I've evolved so much thanks to psychologists and psychotherapists. So I thought, okay, I, I needed some help in Barcelona. And so that was, I mean, a support system for me to have these conversations with professional people in, in this field. And then I guess myself, it was interesting because I, I, through these conversations, I learned a lot, but I also realized that at the end of the day, I mean, if I was not happy, the only thing I could do was to, to continue my career. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I learned a lot and I'm very happy about everything I learned. If I was not comfortable in, in this position and in this environment, the only right thing to do was to continue my own journey. Because I tried to, to speak to some of my managers and I tried to, you know, get some of the stuff I wanted to have to be more, what I thought more, more comfortable and more happy in that position, but I didn't get it. So I was like, okay, you've tried several times. And if things are not changing, the only thing you can do is to be responsible yeah. for your own journey. Exactly. Continue my own journey. Yeah. But, but I mean, I always think you need to try first because I mean, if you want to fix things and you can, then, then it's perfect. And you've tried that, I don't know, like several times during six months, 12 months and things are not changing. Yeah. <laughs> There's only one way. Honor your voice. Yeah. You just need to continue yourself. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, there's a bit of a stigma around uh, finding mental health support or even acknowledging that mental health could be something we run into as adults or even professionals in financial industry or any other industry, right? What would you say um, in terms of just getting that help if you need it? I mean, it's such a big topic. I think everybody should pass by a psychologist at some point in their life or throughout their whole life, basically, because at the end of the day, we, if you want to, I don't know, improve coding skills, you do some coding courses, or if you want to improve your English, you do some English courses, or if you want to, I don't know, lose some weight, maybe you try to run and then you become better at running. So it's like you're getting that help many times through maybe, you know, like, I don't know, a course because you have a teacher teaching you some, some stuff. So I think the same way, I mean, if you, we want to improve our mental health, reach out to those experts who have that expertise and who can help you. Because they know much more about that. I mean, yeah, obviously, if I wanted to learn Chinese now, maybe I could do it myself. Or maybe I could reach out to a school and do some courses there because they know about it. I don't know anything about Chinese, you know what I mean? And the same way with psychologists. Yeah, they can help. It's okay to at least have a talk and see things from a different angle, like multiple angles. Like, oh, I didn't think of that, you know. And It's new insights and new data points. And you can shift your mental models and mindsets as well. Exactly. So it, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, no, I, I'm, I'm a promoter of that as well. So thank you for, for adding that to the talk. <laughs> so you have all these amazing responsibilities and ventures, basically. What does an average day or week look like for you? Can you give us a peek into your world? Ooh. It depends. Um, so my next conference is will take place from the 12th to the 16th of April. So the next edition of the European Blockchain Convention. So right now, the last few weeks, I've been talking to potential clients. So like companies who can sponsor the event. So basically selling, I would say, selling the last few weeks. But then 
if we go back to yeah, November and December, I was not selling that much, but kind of more working on the strategy. So it's, it's, I guess when, when, it's, when you're in a small firm, it's, I mean, each week is very different. It's very different. But like, yeah, lately I'm, I'm talking a lot all the time on the phone or on, on Zoom calls and yeah, trying to explain what value I can provide to my, my clients and also trying to understand what they need so I can provide that value throughout the conference to them. Because at the end of the day, each client have different needs. So even though maybe I have some standardized products, they still have different needs. And, and for me, it's very, very important that my clients leave the conference being happy. So basically providing value. I mean, it's not just about selling now. I mean, yeah, now you can sell and woo, how cool is that? But I also want to provide what I've promised them basically. So uh, yeah, so through conversations, yeah, I also realize what each client needs so I can provide that value. So developing the strategy for, for the firm, account management, it's uh, gaining customer insights, learn more about the actual value that they need. And it's a lot of business development, basically. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what about the other like 10 roles that you have at the moment? For instance, you know, the, the education, oh, yeah. the new business school that oh, you're yeah, setting yeah. up? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, so, well, yeah, we're currently now developing a new venture within the firm, which is the European Tech School. And what we're doing here is basically to, to start building the products. So the first few courses we will have to get the right teachers on board, to build the platform, to start thinking like, okay, so who... Who will I be targeting these courses to? So basically, yeah, creating the, the the school from scratch and the products. That's, yeah, that's what I'm working on. That's exciting. Sounds exciting. <laughs> it is, it is, it is. And then, well, I'm also, besides that, with this, this is not part of my own firm, but I'm also the director of um, a master's degree in Spanish and blockchain. And this is, yeah, this is a part-time job. But that's also fun because uh, I have the opportunity to be in touch with, yeah, also the education system. But this is a master degree, so it's a bit different. And also to to provide what I think is the best blockchain education. Yeah, and making... Did you develop the curriculum yourself? Yeah, so I developed the, the whole master degree. And then I got different teachers on board. So like if I have a course on crypt cryptography, I'll make sure to have the best teachers on that course. Yeah, and, and it's cool to see how... You know, we're getting more and more students on board and hopefully in the future, you know, more and more blockchain experts out there to be able to work with technology. That's amazing. Sounds exciting. You've worked on so many exciting things, right? <laughs> yeah, very different. Yeah, very different as well. Okay, so I want to quickly touch upon women in the crypto and blockchain industry and see what your view is on that. So there are mixed updates on women entering into these spaces where the overall stats of women in finance and tech are known to be disheartening. Some sources say that the problem is felt more acutely in the blockchain and cryptocurrency sector, where most studies show female participation is abysmally low. An analysis by Cointelegraph revealed that only 5 to 10% of crypto coin investors and traders are women. Fortune calculated that only 18% of all founders of the biggest ICOs were women. With regards to the blockchain startups, in 2019, blockchain startups had only 14.5% of women employees, while only 7% executive positions were occupied by a female. On the flip side, however, according to a report released by CoinMarketCap uh, in 2020, the number of women in crypto and blockchain is skyrocketing. So although we still need to distinguish between users, traders, investors, developers, founders, analysts, and the like, this growth clearly demonstrates an increasing interest in digital assets among women. 
Now, there are various underlying factors that feed into that growth, such as the recent economic developments, education, and increasing adoption rates. But I'm interested to hear your take on these insights and what you've observed through your own endeavors. Well, I agree on, on those numbers. I haven't, I haven't done those uh, research myself. But yeah, I de I've definitely seen that the last, well, at least three months, a lot of women are reaching out to me, asking me about, you know, how to invest in Bitcoin, for example. <laughs> so I've seen myself. So yeah, that's positive because at the end of the day, as I was saying before, I mean, if you start investing, that's also a way of learning. So by investing a bit in Bitcoin, I guess you then start to maybe also analyzing what's behind Bitcoin, what's what's behind blockchain, right? So, so definitely seeing a, a growth there. And that's great. But when it comes to when it comes to women working in the industry, yeah, obviously there is not that many women working. At least what I've seen myself is from the first edition of the master degree I'm mentioning before where I'm the director. In the first edition, there was no women in this master, like studying. And in the second edition, so in the first edition, I think we had like 18, 20 students, more or less. And in the second edition, we have 30. And of those 30, three or four are women. So that's great as well. So definitely, yeah, I'm seeing yeah more interest. So it's not just investing, but also studying. And I also believe we will see more women move into to that space. What we do ourselves when it comes to the European Blockchain Convention is to have close to 50% female speakers, kind of like to inspire other profiles to get into the industry, even though it doesn't show the reality. That, that's not a representation of reality. And the same in, in my master's degree where I'm the director close to 50% of the teachers are, are women. And the same will happen uh, at the European Tech School when we launch our courses. Then we will try to have 50% female teachers and 50% male teachers. So yeah, there is a, there is, there is a way to go, but, uh, but slowly more, more women are getting into the space. That's amazing. So you're also, as you mentioned, the founder and president of Accelerate Network, a Spanish professional young women's network. And the objective is to inspire young women to reach their full potential, empower upcoming talents and future female leaders. Tell us a bit more about the impact you're making there. Yeah. So uh, I was actually thinking about the other day, maybe I should remove young. Because <laughs> <laughs> no, the thing is, yeah, the first site I created was was our LinkedIn site. And now Excellent Network is five years old. So at that time I was 29 and now I'm 34 since yesterday. So I'm like, oh, am I still young? I guess I'm still young, but not that young. So I was thinking about removing young, but okay. No, yeah. So the idea here, <laughs> so basically what we've been doing there is to empower and inspire women in this association to to do whatever they want to, to do, but even also to, to get outside their comfort zone. So um, I, I can see that thanks to the association, people are getting into new new areas or I don't know, maybe they reach to like a, an investor and, and, and thanks to, you know, th that connection to the association, they, they managed to, to close their first round or I don't know, they got a new client or whatever. So I can see like how we are learning from each other, from the speakers we have, but also providing opportunities to each other. So that's great. <laughs> what activities or collective efforts do you feel have been most effective in empowering upcoming talent through the Accelerate Network? Is that through these talks and connecting these women, for instance, with a network? Yes. So what we've done most is to have like a professional from, could be for any, from any industry, they're uh, doing a talk. 
about her life or, or his life. And I guess this, because every time we do an event, it's like very small, petite comité. So you get very close to people who are, yeah, quite more advanced in their career. And, and then you're like, okay, if he was able, or if she was able, I can do it as well. So it's a way like, like um, yeah, getting motivation from people who, who have already done a lot of stuff. At the end of the day, I guess sometimes when you, you see a motivational speech and there is 500 people or 1,000 in a room, or if you see it on YouTube, it's not the same as, you know, being in a, in a small petite committee and having that person very close. Obviously now everything is online, but still we're always a small, yeah, small group of people. And, and, and I guess it's, it's about that. It's like, you know, if you were able, obviously I can do it as well. I mean, I always think the same. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, cool to have you on board here and to learn from you. But I'm always like, if you could do that, I can do it as well. And, and, and I guess, and I've seen that, that the members are thinking the same but that's one thing then the rest is like doing networking getting to know each other learning from each other as i said maybe potentially getting a client i know some of the girls have got some new clients thanks to one of the members or as i said close the funding row round yeah it's it's about growing together all together yeah or one parallel or, or where you know yeah, no, that sounds sounds amazing and it, it resonates. So it's more intimate in terms of gatherings, being able to have one-on-one -on -one talks, one-on-one -on -one mentoring or coaching, and really learning more about their journey and maybe their lessons. So you can also re-engineer or backtrack it. Basically, if they did step A, B, and C, I can possibly do A, B, C is something that would be unique to that person. I could do something else, but at least you can sort of like engineer the route as well. If you can see that they've been able to achieve it, mm -hmm. you might be able to, to copy it or do it slightly different. I think that's, that's amazing. Yeah. By just bringing people on board and connecting them with each other. It's, mm -hmm. I think yeah. that's, that's very good. So on like a higher level, if we go back to sort of like the, the themes that we see in the tech industry with women working and investing there, which stakeholders do you think should be part of like the conversation to sort of like move the needle in this field in getting and promoting more women into these fields? I guess everybody. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> I mean, who should be part of the conversations? Um, decision makers, at the end of the day, decision makers have the power to move stuff. So you need decision makers. But sometimes it's not just about getting women on board, even decision makers forget about innovation. And that's also why we always see that companies that were very successful before die out. So it's, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what we're doing in Accelerate Network and other associations and even programs through some corporates and universities are important. I mean, I guess sometimes it's also like, I've seen like, okay, then you're like, okay, that corporate just did that, you know, women's thing just because they want to be a bit modern, but maybe not because they actually, you know, care too much but I still think it's good that that we're seeing all these initi initiatives but at the end of the day I mean as a woman if you are working in a corporate tech company or whatever it is that doesn't matter you need mentors around and you need sponsors around you right because at the end of the day yeah I like these kind of programs even though sometimes you're like but are you just doing this to you know to seem like a, a, you know a good corporate but still I think it's good initiatives but somehow you need to find yeah you need to find a sponsor or sponsors around you that will be talking for you in meetings and will make sure that you get those promotions and will make sure to help you you know grow in that company yeah so but yeah I mean myself I tell a lot if I see if I talk to a company and only see male behind it I'm like oh 
I like to provocate a bit. I'm like, oh, you were not able to get any women founders of, on, on, on that startup or you were not able to whatever, hire someone. So I, I like to provocate a bit there uh, because... Because I know, I know, no, many times they're not aware, but I guess then, you know, if you give a little comment like that, they'll be like, oh, what was that about? And then they're like, oh, maybe, yeah, that's true. We have no women on the board or we have no women on the yeah founding team, right? So I guess it's a way to create much more like better products if we didn't ignore, I would say that diversity. I mean, there is a woman, I forgot her name, but she, she's from Columbia University and now she's at London School of Economics. She did some very interesting research and she's still doing that. But I remember she did a research on, I don't know how many thousands of pitches done at Crunchbase in, in the US. And she realized through her research that I think it was 98% of all, all the funding went to male founded startups. And not just that, also that the questions that were asked towards female founders, 60% were like prevention questions, whereas 60% were promotion questions asked to male founders. So I guess for some reason, I mean, yeah, if we could help people be aware of these biases we all have, because we all have them, that would help. So to conclude, we need various stakeholders engaged in the conversation that are ideally also decision makers to develop, for instance, new policies around promoting gender empowerment and equality. We also really need to look into the cognitive biases that are entrenched in us that seem to have a negative impact on how we view women in the work field or as entrepreneurs. Okay, great. Thank you, Victoria. Now, as I'm very passionate about emerging technologies, of which blockchain myself, I just can't help it but try to absorb the latest updates from experts in the field. Allow me to ask you a few questions about that as well. You are the co-founder of the European Blockchain Convention, which brings thousands of world's brightest minds together to discuss the role blockchain technology will play in the future. The global audience includes founders, investors, regulators, developers, corporations, and many more. As an expert who has observed the evolution and adoption rates of its applications over the past years, and as an expert engaged in advisory projects, what would you say is the current maturity and readiness level of blockchain for it to be converged and adopted more broadly? So I would say that a lot has happened the last two years. In 2017, when I got into the space, it was all about cryptocurrencies, but also, I guess, for many people realizing that there was nothing behind a lot of these cryptocurrencies, but obviously there was something behind Bitcoin, for example, or Ethereum. So then in 2018, what people saw was the end of the ICOs, which were very hot also in 2017. In 2018, the ICOs died out <laughs> because this was basically a way of like doing IPO, but based on a PowerPoint. So it was very exciting for a lot of people because they had to ch the chance to invest in private companies without being an institutional investor. But there was nothing behind all these projects. So the ICOs died out in 2018. But all this coverage in the media, even negative coverage, obviously, slowly got a lot of uh, corporates to look more and more into this technology. And then in 2019, a lot of corporates started to have like their own small departments, blockchain departments, and even started to launch their own proof of concepts. And then it, I would say the year 2020 has been the year where public institutions have got on board. So the European Commission has been very active <laughs> yeah, in, in 2020. They launched their own blockchain platforms and their, their project called the European Blockchain Services Infrastructure. And 
they are very serious about this technology and trying to develop different use cases. And like the most important is the digital identity, the self-sovereign identity for citizens, for companies, for any digital objects. So that's very exciting. Even the European Commission launched a draft regulation, a proposal for, for new regulation for crypto assets. Even the, the, the European Central Bank launched a report called a report on digital euro where they are looking into the implications of issuing a digital euro. Not necessarily using blockchain, but I definitely think that the whole conversation about cryptocurrencies, Facebook, Libra project, their cryptocurrency has also influenced the European Central Bank to look even more closer into the possibility of issuing a, a digital uh, euro. It could be on blockchain, it could not be on blockchain. So um, yeah, things are evolving. I mean, it's still a young technology, it's still an emerging technology, but most industries are looking into blockchain now most industries obviously the financial world was one of the first ones then supply and logistics but in 2020 we also saw that the whole pharma industry got into blockchain and that was before covid before covid because pharma ledger blockchain consortium for the blockchain and pharma industry was born in january before covid so they're also looking very much into blockchain and yeah i think we will see blockchain everywhere in the future and there's still a lot of work to be done but we're getting there what do you think are the drivers for these companies to start looking into adopting blockchain? One of the drivers are definitely the cryptocurrency space, even though I'm not a fan of this whole speculation. Uh, I'm not into that. But still, this whole even negative media coverage, I think helped for creating you know, more awareness and, and adoption because a lot of companies realize that this technology behind is very powerful and can create new business models, can create trust in a digital world, which we need. When you then get like the European Commission and other, you know, public institutions on board, it's like, okay, this is serious, you know, this is serious. This is not just a test. Yes. We see that the stakeholders are currently predominantly focused on creating the right infrastructure which includes policy developments to be able to create that transparency, trust, and reliability. Once that infrastructure is there, a lot more organizations would feel comfortable dabbling into these emerging technology fields, which will on its turn allow for these alternate business models that could create value for these organizations to transpire. But as you mentioned earlier, we need an entire ecosystem with these various stakeholders to co-create and co-develop their one way for increased convergence and adoption. Otherwise, this technology cannot accelerate. Exactly, exactly. So in your viewpoint, what do you think is needed to help accelerate the growth and maturity of blockchain into various sectors? Well, one very important aspect is to have some standards, because right now, we see a lot of different blockchain structures and blockchain platforms. And we need we need a common language when it comes to the blockchain space. But this whole standard area is also evolving a lot. I mean, a lot of proposals are getting out there because obviously the idea is that the different blockchain networks can talk to each other because it's all about moving different objects, digital objects, digital assets around. So yeah, we need a common language. language. And I think maybe to have those standards... 100% decided and implemented. Maybe it will take a few more years, but uh, a lot of work has been done the last few years. And I guess, yeah, it's about, yeah, maximum two years to have some standards to be able to to build on, on the same language, basically. 
But that should be most probably a multi-stakeholder collective effort in that sense, right? To create that common language. Indeed, indeed. Yeah, yeah. I mean, different different associations, different um, companies are presenting their ideas. And then, yeah, and I, and I think from what I've seen the last yeah two years, I think in two years, we should be able to have some some standards for, for the blockchain space. Positive outlooks. Yes. <laughs> and speaking of which, uh, would you be able to give us your projections on what we can expect from blockchain in sort of like the near future or midterm what should we be excited about so well you have you have the whole aspect for for the corporate world and i think what we will be seeing in the future near future is more and more competitors collaborating we're already seeing that but even more because that's how you actually get the most out of blockchain by collaborating with your with your competitors it sounds a bit strange but it's actually a collaboration technology so nowadays most companies work in silos within their own companies and then each company is a silo but in the future to actually get the most out of blockchain we will see that these silos will be removed and that competitors will be working together and that will create new business models also when it comes to the investment side i mean we will see very soon all type of digital assets, securities on blockchain, which will make the whole financial industry much more smooth, which will permit more transparent, transparent, yeah, yeah, and, and yeah, reliable and smooth because it will permit doing both the trading, the settlement and clearing at the same time. And I mean, and then to, to audit that, it's yeah, super easy to set transparent. And also, well, yeah, when it comes to that's like the whole financial industry, but when it comes to, to Bitcoin, which is a new asset class, often compared to, to gold as well, called the new gold, we will also see more and more uh, asset managers providing this asset class to institutional investors, which I also think is quite interesting because... We've seen the developments, right? BlackRock just showed its initial interest. Exactly. So. BlackRock a few weeks ago got, got the green line from the SEC to, to be able to buy Bitcoin futures in two of their funds. Ray Dalio, which is the founder of, of Rich Waters Associates, just said in his uh, notes last week that he finds Bitcoin as a super exciting invention. So, yeah. It's great to see these larger institutions and investors are tapping into the blockchain market as well. It certainly creates a halo effect in terms of convincing the other stakeholders that were initially a bit apprehensive to start to look into that as well. So, yes, I'm excited that that has started to pick up. Great. If people would be interested to attend the European Blockchain Convention, where can they find more information? So if they would like to attend the European Blockchain Convention, what they should do is basically reach out to us through our website. So the next edition is from the 12th to the 16th of April. It's going to be five days packed with super, super content and with the best experts in the blockchain space from various industries. So we have different type of tickets depending on what kind of services you would like. But I definitely, I see it not just an, it's not just an opportunity to, to connect with the industry. It's actually an opportunity to get an intensive course into blockchain. I mean, if you attend all the sessions, you'll learn so much. Well, and then talking about education, we will be launching the European Tech School soon with blockchain courses. So that's also an, an opportunity to do one of those courses. And not just through the European Tech School, if you, should if you decide to do one of the courses, you will also be able to attend our conferences throughout one year. So it's a great way to learn and to connect with the, with the whole ecosystem. Perfect. 
Victoria, I believe we've covered quite a lot of interesting topics and obviously very valuable insights from your side. But unfortunately, we will have to wrap up this inspiring talk. But before we do that, if people want to connect, reach out or simply want to stay up to date with your activities, where can they find you? Either on LinkedIn, I'm quite active there, Victoria Gago. If not on Twitter, I'm also quite active there. And since a week ago, I have a, a profile on Clubhouse. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also Victoria Gago on Clubhouse. So that's also a place where you can reach, reach out to me. Great. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today and for sharing your work with us. I'm looking forward to staying up to date with your activities. All the best with the next steps for the European Blockchain Convention and, of course, your various other exciting endeavors. Thank you. Thank you very much, Salma. My dear podcast listeners, thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode today. Make sure to share it with someone who you think will find it valuable as well. And if you want to have your weekly dose of inspiration, make sure to subscribe here or follow our LinkedIn and Twitter page for updates. For more information on the firm behind this podcast, please visit www.raisev.com. Stay safe, stay healthy, and until next time.